Dear Heavenly Father, it's such an encouragement to hear your people sing, to hear your people pray. Lord, we hope that this has been a sweet offering to you so that we can express our thanks and our gratitude for what it is that you have done for us. Lord, I thank you for this fellowship of believers. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless them mightily, to give their elders wisdom, to give them a passion for your word and a passion for your gospel. Dear Lord, as we look at your scripture this morning, Lord, let us submit to your spirit. Lord, let us look to your word because your word is truth. And it's this truth, Lord, that is a lamp unto our feet. Lord, help us. We need your strength, we need your grace, and we need your mercy. And we pray these things in the mighty, wonderful, and gracious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Curse Baptist Church, it is great to be with you today. Uh, I get to bring greetings on behalf of two organizations, the Pillar Network, uh, which your pastor already mentioned that uh, Oakhurst is a part of, that I serve on the board with. It's a fellowship of right now about 455 churches across the entire globe, churches that are like-minded and that are passionate about church planting and church revitalization. And so we are so thankful for the fact that Oakhurst is counted among this fellowship of churches that we're a part of and the partnership that we have with you. But I also get to bring greetings from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of your six Southern Baptist seminaries, uh, your closest one that's just about two hours down the road. Uh, I have had the joy of serving there this month for 27 years, uh, and we have the opportunity to train right now over 4,500 students uh, that are going all across this globe uh, to preach God's word, to counsel God's people, uh, to share the gospel in the darkest places of this world. And so we are thankful likewise for your partnership that we have with you. And we would say anytime that you are in that area of the state, come by and see us. Uh, this is your seminary. Check us out, see what's going on. And we would love to be able to share with you more about what God is doing through the work at Southeastern Seminary. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Colossians. If you'll open up, with Col- open up to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Uh, if you are not familiar exactly where Colossians is, if you come across Galatians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and in the book of Colossians. If you get to First and Second Thessalonians, you've gone too far, go back to your left. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I don't know about you guys, but we are one of the families that during the pandemic ended up with a pet. It was not the intention. Matter of fact, I grew up with dogs. My kids love dogs. My wife, not so much. But the kids wore her down. And one night we were sitting there and she sends me a link in the email. One of those things where you're in the same room, but you just got a message from your wife. And it's a link to a dog. And, I'm, and I was surprised because I knew that this was not something that she was excited about, but she broke. And we ended up with one of those dogs. And the great part about it is, is now that we've had this dog for a little over three years, it's this little medium-sized, 24-pound, curly white hair, uh, uh, Bish Poo. So it's a mixture between a Bichon Freeze and a Poodle, Toy Poodle. Uh, she is the primary human for that dog. 
That dog follows her everywhere, wants to know where she is, wants to be in her lap, all of those other kinds of things. And there's an order within our house. She's the primary, I'm the secondary. Then it goes to my daughter, Olivia, and then it goes to my son, Mason. That's like last attempt, no one else is around, so Mason's it. But there is this one time when I'm the primary human, and it's right after dinner. It's this little routine. It's kind of funny every time that it happens. But after dinner, after things are getting cleaned up, the uh, Dak is the dog's name, will be on top of the little ottoman uh, that is in our den. And he'll kind of be sitting there acting like he's not looking at me. But you can see out of the side of his, you know, he's looking out of the side of his eye, trying to see exactly where I am. And he's waiting for one thing. He's waiting for me to sit down in my recliner. Because something happens as soon as I sit down in that recliner. He jumps off the ottoman, jumps into my lap, spins around, faces out looking at everybody else in the den and is expecting one thing from me, scratches. He just wants to get pet all over. And as soon as I stop, if I get distracted or something else is going on, I'll feel feel a slap on my hand from his paw, like, you're not done. And then if it's a little bit too long, what he does is he stops facing everybody else and he turns around and he ends up putting both his paws on my shoulder, looking me right at the face and saying, don't forget about me. You have one job and that job is to please me at this moment. And then finally he's satisfied and he leaves. That's how our life is. Our life is here on earth in many different ways, pleasing different things, pleasing different people, even pleasing ourselves. But what Scripture says is that our main, that our primary goal is to please God. That is our goal. And this morning, as we look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, I want you to understand one of the most important roles that you have in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ when it comes to them pleasing God. And that is to pray for them, to pray that they would please God. And this morning we're going to see how that is the case. So the book of Colossians is Paul writing to this church in this town called Colossae that he has learned about from a gentleman named Epaphras. Paul himself has not visited this particular town at this point in time, but he has heard about the encouraging work that has happened in their heart. And what he is doing is he's sharing with them the typical fashion of some significant doctrinal truths. As a matter of fact, just after our passage is is what's known as one of the four great Christological passages in the New Testament that teach us about the person of Christ. Because what he's doing is he's writing to this church that is facing heresies, that is facing philosophies that are coming in, that's saying that there's some special knowledge that you are to receive, and you actually don't know everything that you know about Christ. And what he is trying to say is, this is who Christ is, this is the knowledge that you are to have, and this is what you are to be filled with. And so this morning, as he opens up and he is thankful for the way that they have lived their life, he turns to prayer. And he says, this is how it is that I am praying for you. And my hope for you this morning is that you would learn from this pattern of prayer. The prayers in Scripture are an incredible place for us to go to to learn how is it that we should be faithful in praying. And in this prayer this morning, Paul is saying, how is it that we can pray for people to please God? 
And so the first thing that I want us to see is in verse 9. And I want us to see that we should be praying for a filling. We should be praying for a filling. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says this, For this reason also, since the day that we have heard of this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul has just heard about how it is from Epaphras that the gospel has borne great fruit among the believers in Colossae, how it is that they are showing great faith. And so because of this, there's a response of Paul praying for them. Paul is not just praying for them because they are in a difficult situation. Paul's actually praying, continue to pray for them, pray for them because they are faithful. And he's praying that they would continue to be faithful. And so because of this faithfulness, he says, I'm continuing to pray from you, pray for you since the day that we heard of it. And we've not stopped. This is a continual prayer. This is not just one, I'm going to send a prayer up and then I'm going to go about doing my business. But this is a prayer where he is constantly, and his, the people that are serving with him are constantly praying for the people of God. Paul sees this as a vital ministry. This just isn't a nice thing to do. This is an integral, an important thing to do when it comes to being able to please God. But he's very specific here about what it is that he's asking for. He says, we are asking for this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled. Now, when we look at this, we're asking, okay, where is this filling coming from? Well, there's an implication. It's inferred here what's going on. There's one commentator, even though this is an official classification that refers to this, is a divine, a divine passive. And so what he is doing, he is asking not that the Colossians themselves would be filled, but that God would fill them. He is asking God to act on behalf of his people, to fill them with the knowledge of his will. Knowledge is a big theme in Scripture. We're going to see it even more in this particular passage but it speaks to the fact of just like we learn with the greatest commandment that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. Knowledge is a key component to our faith that is here. And we are to be filled with it, not partially, completely. And what Paul is asking for is he's asking for God to do this filling of his people. To fill them with the knowledge of his will. Now, when you see this, this is not how normally you might use will. You know, nowadays we talk about God's will for my life, and what we're really talking about is we wish that there would be a billboard on the road outside that would say, turn left here, then do this, then do this, then do that. But that's actually not what Scripture is talking about here when it says that asking that God would fill them with the knowledge of His will. He's basically saying, fill them with what your scripture teaches as to what it is that I, that what it is that God wants them to do. This is what he's asking for. There's plenty of places in scripture that we see this is the will of the Lord. We see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that we are to rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. 
We likewise see that we are to discern the will of God in Ephesians chapter 5 where we are to walk in a manner, in a circumspect manner. We are to redeem the time so that we might know what the will of the Lord is. There are plenty of places in Scripture that we can know what the will of the Lord. And basically what Paul is saying is, Lord, bring your Scripture to mind to your people so that they will know what to do. This is how we pray for one another. And he qualifies it. He says, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Some of your translations might say, in spiritual wisdom and understanding. It can apply to both of those. But it's a way to think about the knowledge that's here. Knowledge is something we know. Wisdom and understanding through the power of the Spirit is us knowing how to apply it in that particular situation. Comedians over the years have said that knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that it doesn't belong in fruit salad. There's plenty of places where wisdom is needed. It's, we know the truth. We know the truth that needs to be said, but the way that it needs to be said is where wisdom comes in. It's where it is that Christ said in Matthew chapter 10 that I send you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpent and innocent as doves, knowing how to operate in that situation. Paul, at the end of this particular letter, even asked that he would have wisdom on how to interact with outsiders. And so there's a wisdom of knowing how it is that we take the truth of God's will, of God's word, and we know in a particular situation how to apply it. But here's the reminder again is this is not something that he is setting the believers out in Colossae to figure out on their own. This is not something that he is setting us out to figure out on our own, but he is asking the sovereign God to fill his people with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So my family are donuts fans. We love donuts. Not sure what you have donuts. We have a hierarchy of donut places. You know, you have the national chains, which are down here, and then you have some local options. Actually, our favorite one is about 45 minutes from our house in a little town called Mebane, North Carolina, uh, kind of in between here and Wake Forest. Uh, I, I'm one of those that, if you're from the Northeast, I'm sorry, I'm not a Duncan fan, all right? That's like here, down here at the end. I know that might offend some of you, but the particular donuts that my wife and I like are the filled donuts. And here's one thing that I'm looking every time I pick up a filled donut. I want to know, do I see whatever it's filled with coming out of the donut? Because that's the donut I want. The one that I'm scared of is the one that I look at and I'm looking around and I see the little puncture hole in the side and, and I can't see anything. Because then I'm not sure, is it actually filled up or not? And you have those disappointing, disappointing moments where you start eating that donut and you take that first bite and you're waiting for that, that, that creamy or that, that kind of gelatin, you know, sweetness that's in there. And it's not there. Because it hasn't been filled up all the way. It's a useless filled donut at that point in time. <laughs> Why am I wasting my time with this donut? But even more particularly for my wife when I say that there's this one place in Meadow, North Carolina, is that she likes a chocolate cream filled donut but she's incredibly particular about the kind of cream that's inside of it. And tell me, I, I can tell you, we have been place after place after place, and she'll go, nope, this isn't it. Matter of fact, she doesn't even want me to get one for the box if it's not this one particular chocolate cream donut that's there. 
And this is what it is that Paul is asking for, that we would be completely filled and completely filled with the right things, which is the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is what it is that we need to be able to please God. So the first thing that we should be doing is praying for this filling. Now, when we pray for this, generally what happens when we pray for people, many times what that praying for other people consists of is praying for them in a time of significant health struggle or significant sin struggle. But Paul is asking for a group of people here who are walking faithfully, and he's still asking for God to fill them with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why is this the case? Because it's not like the people who are not experiencing pain, who are not experiencing difficulty, have somehow got it figured out and are doing it on their own. They can only accomplish that by the power of God. And we never know with the, the schemes of this devil, with the spiritual warfare that he places, uh, places upon us, the, the things that he plants in our minds, the temptations that are before us, we never know when one of those people are going to fall. And the best protection for them is to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so what we should do is not just simply pray for those that are hurting. That is good, and we should. Not just pray for those that need the gospel. That is good, and we should. Not just pray for those who are caught in sin. That is good, and we should. But we should be praying for everybody. As you look around this room and you see people that are faithful saints of God, they should be in your prayers. You should be asking that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because this is how it is that they are going to be faithful. So now let's look at verses 10 through 12. So we've seen that we pray for a filling, but we also pray for faithfulness. Paul says in verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. So we're praying for a filling, but we're praying for that for a purpose. And so that's so that the people of God might walk faithfully. That's what you see in verse 10. So that, filled with the knowledge of God's will, all spiritual wisdom, understanding, so that. All right, so that's our key here, that this is the purpose of the prayer. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. This idea of walking here is something that we see all throughout the New Testament. We see all throughout the Scripture that is a reference to our life and how it is that we take every step. And the kinds of steps that we take are those which should be worthy of the Lord. And he modifies that as to what is worthy is that which is fully pleasing to him. In other words, not steps that we take that he might be, eh, yeah, that's okay. We know it's definitely not the steps that he doesn't want us to take. But what he wants this to result in is us to be able to take steps that every single step that we take is fully pleasing to him. It has a purpose behind it. 
And so now what Paul does in describing this idea and this purpose of us walking faithfully is he describes in four different ways how it is that we are faithful and what it is that he's asking for among the believers in Colossae. And likewise, he is asking for our lives. So here's the four things. I want you to look at these with me. So look here in verse 10. Right after fully pleasing him, number one, bearing fruit in every good work. Okay, so that's number one he's asking for, for faithfulness. Number two, growing in the knowledge of God. Number three, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, with all patience and endurance. That's number three. And number four, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So as Paul is praying for these believers and he's setting this example for us and how we pray for one another, these are areas that we can be praying would be a result of our life, a result of being filled with the knowledge of his will. That it's not just fun knowledge that we have, it's not just trivia, but it actually has a purpose in our life. And that first purpose is, is that we are bearing fruit in every good work. We've already heard from John chapter 15 this morning. In John chapter 15, where we hear that Christ is the true vine, <clears throat> and that we are the branches. And that if we are in Christ, we will bear fruit. That is evidence of the fact that we are a follower of Christ. Anybody who claims to be a follower of Christ and you can see <clears throat> no fruit in their life, you wonder whether or not there's a true relationship. I remember as we were growing up in, in high school and in college and we were going door to door, I had a friend named Keith, and as we would share the door, uh, share, or knock on the door and the person would open and you would, might get the answer that you might hear in the South on a regular basis, well, I grew up in the church, I was baptized in the church, but they haven't been back to church in decades, but they hold on to that moment that's there. And he would frequently ask them the question, well, what's gone on in your life recently that shows that what happened back then was real? Because the truth of the matter is, if we are in Christ, we will bear fruit. It is impossible for us to be in a relationship with Christ, a true relationship with Christ, and us not bear fruit. So we are praying for, in this faithful walk, that they would bear fruit in every good work. This is why it is that we learn in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. This is why that passage closes out with the fact that we are His workmanship in Christ Jesus, walking in the good works that He's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. This is how it is that God wants us to live our life. This is how it is that Christ has asked us to live our life, that the works that we do bear fruit. There's evidence, there's kingdom evidence that's here. The second thing is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I mean, I'm sorry, increasing in the knowledge of God and growing in the knowledge of God is number two. He's growing in the knowledge of God. This is, means us here studying God's word, learning who he is, learning to love him better because of what it is that his word teaches it's diving into the depths of what it is that our church fathers before us and our great theologians have taught us what is truth in these areas. All of these things are here so that we might grow in the knowledge of God. 
We might live our lives in such a way that we know who God is completely. Because if you think about it, it's as you know people, you know what they like. You know what they want. You know what they expect. Your wife, you know what she wants. You know what she expects. And as we get to know God, we know what he wants. We know what he expects. Because we understand what his holiness means. We understand what his love means. We understand what his discipline means for us. We understand who God is and why it is that he does the things that he, that he does. And therefore, we are able to live more faithfully before him. Number three, we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. The fact is, is we cannot live this Christian life on our own. We can only live this Christian life by the power of God, by strength and by his might. It's just like when Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians about the fact that a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him so that he would not be too prideful. And he learned that through the weakness that he was experiencing, he learned God's strength. He learned how it is to walk faithfully during those difficult days. But that is for us for every day. There's not some days that we need God's strength and some days that we don't. We need God's strength every day because that's what's going to produce for us endurance and patience. If you'll look just a little bit later on in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 29, what Paul says is this, I labor for this, talking about the maturity that he's hoping for in these believers. He says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. This is how it is that we are going to be faithful. We are faithful every day, even when things are going great. Not because of our own power. Not because of our strength. But because of the power of God. That requires us to submit to him and to not try to do this on our own. We strive constantly on a daily basis thinking somehow we can do this on our own. But we can only do this through the strength of God. So we are constantly in a place in our faithfulness where we are laying ourselves aside and we are laying our own strength aside and we are asking that God would strengthen us so that we might have all endurance and patience. And then the fourth thing, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints and the light. We have already seen when I quoted 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, that we are to rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness should be a part of our life. One of the things that you'll notice about all four of these items, we don't come by these things naturally. Left alone, if you're outside of Christ, these are not things that describe your life. You're not bearing fruit in every good work. You're not desiring to know more about God. Even if you study spiritual things, you're really not. You are not being strengthened by His glorious might, and you are not joyfully giving thanks to this Father who has enabled us 
to, to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. Our lips should be marked with thankfulness. This is a hard one. Philippians chapter 2, we learn that Paul teaches the church in Philippi, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And the ultimate reason that he's telling them to do that is because you are shining as lights among this world. And when you grumble and dispute, which is really the op opposite of thankfulness, all you are doing is just sounding like the rest of the world. But we joyfully give thanks. We give thanks in the great days. We give thanks in the really, really, really hard days. We do like James 1 tells us where we consider it joy when we encounter various trials. We joyfully give thanks. So let me encourage you as you pray for people and you pray for their faithfulness, pray for faithfulness in their speech, that they would joyfully give thanks. Encourage them in that way. Make it a part of your speech. The hardest part about this is it's awkward because it's not how we're used to talking to one another. It sounds weird. You know, we're like, why is that person always so peppy? Why is that person always filled with joy? That's who we should be as believers. So get past the awkwardness. Learn how to talk with one another, joyfully giving thanks to our Heavenly Father who has qualified us to share in this saint's inheritance in the light. So when we look at these things here, we have these markers to look at our light look at our life. And when we look at these things, these should be natural outflows of what it is that Paul has asked God to do. Fill them with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that, so that these things might be true. It's like this. If you walk into a room, you turn the lights on and the power is working. You expect all the lights will come on. It's a natural reaction. You turn it on, it's there. One of the most frustrating things, especially if you have lights that are hard to reach, is you turn the power on and one of the lights doesn't come on. It's kind of like the smoke detector when it's time to replace the batteries and you've got to get up on a ladder and it won't stop beeping until you replace it. It's frustrating because that's not what it's supposed to do. Likewise, when power is sent to that light, you expect for it to work. And that's how it is for us as believers. If we are filled with the knowledge of his will, which God is being asked to do, and we have every indication that when God is asked to do this, that he will do it, then the natural reaction is that we would walk in a manner worthy of him, that we would please him in all respects. And that the markers, if you're looking for markers, that we are pleasing him is that we're bearing fruit in every good work. We are growing in the knowledge of God. We are being strengthened by his might for all endurance and patience. And we are joyfully giving thanks to him. So if you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're looking for ways to pray for them, and you've got somebody who typically is negative in all the things that they pray for, you can add to the, this prayer here when you ask for their faithfulness. Lord, help them to be joyfully thankful in the situation that they're in. Somebody that's struggling to be faithful, walking in the works that God has prepared beforehand for them to walk in, that they would walk in those particular ways. Somebody that is clearly trying to strive on their own, that they would learn to be strengthened by God's might and not their own.
that all of these things would be true as they study and that they would have a hunger and a longing for the knowledge of God. So we pray for faithfulness. So we pray for filling and we pray for a faithfulness. But all of this is in a response to something that is that God has done for us. And I want us to see that in verses 13 to 14. We pray these things because we have been forgiven. We pray these things because we have been forgiven. That's why it is that we want these things. We weren't forgiven just to simply be set free to do what it is that we want to do. We have been forgiven by God so that we might live in response to what it is that he has done for us. This is the goal here that we are at. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says that he's rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. In him we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What it is that Christ has done for us is that he has rescued us from a place that we could not have rescued ourselves. You see, when God shone his love on you through Christ Jesus, it was not a situation like you might pick a basketball team today where you look around and you know who has the skills, you know who played in college, you know who has the height, all the other kinds of characteristics that you're looking for. You're looking for somebody that is going to give you the best chance of succeeding. <clears throat> That's not why God chose to love you. That's not why God chose to rescue you. There's a lot of people in this room that are intelligent. There's a lot of people in this room that are skilled. There's a lot of people in this room that are passionate. And it is not because of those things that God chose you. You were in a place that you were without hope. You needed rescuing. There is nothing that you could do about it. And what God did at that moment through Christ is he reached down and he grabbed you and he rescued you. And it wasn't from just some room off someplace. He rescued you from the domain of darkness. A place that you had no hope. It wasn't kind of a middle place of, 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 of not much significance and not much impact on your life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. And he rescued you from that domain of darkness. This is the greatness of our God and why it is that we live faithfully in response to him because of the fact that he saw us, he grabbed us, he rescued us from that domain of darkness. And then what he did is he didn't just take us out of the domain of darkness, but he transferred us into his kingdom, the kingdom of his son. What's great about this, when we look at this, this isn't a future hope. He didn't rescue us from the domain of darkness so that one day we might be transferred into the kingdom. That moment that he rescues us, we are immediately transferred into his kingdom. Immediately. We have the ability by his power, strengthened by his might, to be able to live faithfully, to be able to do the good works, to be able to increase in the knowledge of God, to be able to joyfully give thanks. All of these things because he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son that he loves. A kingdom for his son. You see, his son did something amazing. His son stepped out of heaven. 
gave up his glory that was on full display. And he came to earth to be able to live a perfect life, to be able to die for us so that we might be able to be reconciled to God. And because of this, God gave him the name that is above every name, so that every knee on earth, on heaven, and under the earth shall bow to him. This is the greatness of our God, the love for his son, the fact that he has called us into his kingdom. And in verse 14, in him we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been bought with a price. His blood was shed on our behalf, and our sins have been forgiven. We are in a place where God looks at us, and he no longer looks at us as a sinner. He looks at us as a saint because of the fact that he has rescued us. Now, there's a lot of people in this room that know that. You look back on this, and you know that this is where it is that God has brought you from. But there might be some in this room today that you are not one of those that God has rescued from the domain of darkness. There might be one in this room today who has yet to repent of their sins and to place their faith in Christ. And what I'm here to do today to tell you is that today is the day of salvation. You might feel like you have no hope. You might feel like you have it together. But the truth is, is all of us are in a place where we needed to be rescued. And today, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, today is the day that God is offering to rescue you. And it's simple. All you do is call out to him and confess that he is Lord to repent of your sins and to follow after him. And then you are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. I can tell you there's lots of people in this room that would love to tell you more about that. If you have questions as to what that means and what that looks at, please stop somebody and say, can you please explain to me more what this means to be rescued by God? Stop one of the elders. Stop one of the staff members. Don't let today go by. Don't let this moment go by just simply as a time that you go, well, that was a nice thought, and we're going to move on to the next thing. But to recognize that you are one who needs to be rescued. If you are one who has been rescued and you've been rescued for a long time, there's a tendency that you might have forgotten the depth in which God rescued you from. And I would encourage you to remind yourself to think back, not to relish those days, but to realize that those days are ones in which only God could have saved you from. Don't think about your greatness. Don't think about your faithfulness. Don't think about all those other kinds of things. But think about the sinfulness that you had before God and the fact that he rescued you. I tell you what, that'll help you be joyfully thankful when you remember what it is that God rescued you from and what he's called you to. So church, here's what it is that I want you to walk away with. I want you to walk away with that you serve an important role in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is to pray for them regularly. You might be in a situation where you're not really sure, I don't understand how prayer works. God is sovereign, why do I pray? 
But yet what we know is that James teaches us, or 1 John teaches us, that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, he answers us. We know from James chapter 5 that the prayer of a righteous man is effective. We might not understand it. It's the tension that was, we talked about with the songs that we sang between us holding on to the anchor and Christ holding on to us. We don't understand exactly all of those things at work. But what we know is that Scripture has called us to pray. Scripture has called us to pray constantly. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 4, he says, Paul says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert with it in thanksgiving. So what I encourage you to do today is to think about your brothers and sisters in Christ. We all go through the day and you, people come to mind. My guess is people in this congregation, if you're invested in this congregation, come to your mind on a regular basis. Take that moment. Seize that moment. Redeem that moment. Don't just simply let that thought of them escape. But take that moment to pray for them. Pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As other people come to mind, family members who are followers of Christ and others, to pray for them. To pick up your directory and systematically pray through your directory and ask that God would fill them with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual understanding so that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And pray for these particular ways that he has mentioned. It's a high calling. It's, almost, it's unbelievable because we think in some senses when it comes to our impact of righteousness, which we are supposed to spur one another on to love and good deeds and that personal interaction that we have, but that we can have a significant role in the life of our brothers and sisters in Christ simply by praying. We don't understand how that works, but God said, do it. And if you pray according to my will, I hear it and I answer I can guarantee you this prayer that Paul is praying for is not one that we're wondering whether or not this is according to God's will. It is according to God's will. And it's a prayer like many other of Paul's prayers and other prayers within Scripture that I would encourage you to look at and to mimic. Not because there's magic in the words. That's not why it is that you do these particular things. But it's a guide to help you understand how it is that I can be faithfully praying how God wants me to pray for his people. What an amazing mystery it is that we're asking God to fill his people with the knowledge of his will and understanding. We know in scripture that we are called to long and to desire after God's word. But again, that tension, that mystery that exists that's there, that we are asking for God to fill his people with knowledge and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's my challenge to you today, and what I hope that that does is spur you on to a more faithful prayer life for one another. Not just praying for those that are hurting, not just praying for those that are sick, not just praying for those that need the gospel, but praying for even those that appear from every standpoint to be walking faithfully right now before God. To have them constantly on your mind and on your lips, as Paul does for the people in Colossians. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as Paul did, I pray for this body of believers here at Oakhurst Baptist Church.
I ask, Lord, that they might be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, so that they might bear fruit in every good work, so that they might grow in the knowledge of God, so that they might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and have endurance and patience that they might joyfully be giving thanks to the Father who has enabled them to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. Lord, we do this in response because of the fact you have rescued us from the domain of darkness. You have transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that you love. And Lord, in him we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, call us to be faithful in our prayer life. Help us to pray for people's filling. Help us to pray for people's faithfulness and help us to pray because we have been forgiven. We pray these things in the mighty, wonderful, and gracious name of Christ. Amen.